Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. I'm excited for this show. We have a good friend of the pod and a great Bitcoiner, Guy Swan, on here to talk about stability and if it even exists. How's it going, Guy? Pretty good, man. How about y'all? Fantastic. Fantastic. Guy, give yourself a little bit of a plug. Who are you? What do you do in this space? And uh, why are you here? Not, not just why are you here on POV Crypto, but why are you here in the Bitcoin world? Okay. Um, I am host of Bitcoin Audible and actually just recently joined the team at Swan Bitcoin, um, uh, which is really exciting. Those guys are absolutely killing it over there. Um, but uh, I just kind of, I- I'm in this for just learning everything about Bitcoin and the fascinating revolution that it is uh, spurring. Um, I came at this from an economics background. Uh, like I was, my brother was um, exploring economics at the time and we started debating, but the finding the Austrian economics theory and then stumbling upon Bitcoin, it was kind of the codification of that entire economic thought. And it just utterly engrossed me from the very first moment. And I started reading about it. And that is what I've literally done ever since. Um, and that's what the podcast is, is I've literally, I find all of the best works in Bitcoin and I read them aloud so that they are, they are audible <laughs> and, uh, and then talk about them on the show. And I kind of hit it from every possible perspective, the development, the, the tech, the economics, the money, the history, the cypherpunks, the, the whole, the whole match, you, uh, name it. And I've probably read about it. That's a, that's a great contribution that you make to the Bitcoin space, but I bet no one has gotten more value out of that than you, right? Uh, because if you're the one reading everything and you're the one thinking about everything, like you grow faster than anyone else, uh, who might be a listener to, uh, of your podcast. Is that, is that right? Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. There was, um, uh, when I first really kind of got into it, one of the reasons was partly because, um, like my original thing was that, like for three years, I just wished that I could listen to all the articles so that I could actually get to them all and nobody else did it. And I was like, all right, well, shit, I'll do it. Um, and I never knew if anybody would actually listen to the show, but I figured, you know, a couple people might want the, that same thing that I wanted. Um, but the big thing that I, I didn't quite, I really underestimated, I think, was the amount of value that I would get out of it in that it's so easy to read a headline and a paragraph and get distracted and think you've read something and think mm-hmm. that, you know, you learned some new thing. And then, you know, like two weeks later, you're debating or you're trying to explain it to somebody and you realize you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And like when I have to like hit every single one, like thoroughly, I read every piece essentially twice and very slowly and meticulously. Um, and then at the end, you know, I, I give, you know, 20, 30 minutes of commentary expanding on the idea. And I don't have anything interesting to say if I don't dig deeper into it. You know, if I don't read the actual paper that this was based off of and that sort of thing. So I end up really taking a deep dive into all this stuff and absolutely if nothing else, I, I cannot, it's invaluable the amount that I have learned from having to read it all and explain it to an audience. Yeah. 
So diving into the subject matter that we want to get into into this podcast, we want to talk about stability. Uh, the last podcast that Christian and I were, were on, we were talking about this new thing on Ethereum called Rye, which is this uh, kind of this clever engineering that you can make happen with an asset where if an asset moves by X amount, the Rye version of that asset will move by 0.5 X of that same amount. So making that more that same asset more stable. But then we got into a crux of a of a debate as to like what stability even is, right? Because stability requires an anchor point, and there's no actual anchor point of of anything. There's no central point to ever point to anything. And even if you do choose a central anchor point, like that is ultimately a subjective choice, right? Like the mm-hmm. cryptocurrency world tends to value things in dollars, right? But that's that's also not the best anchor point. It's only the better, it's only the best anchor point that we have, not the maximally best anchor point. Sorry, I'm blowing up. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to, I, I think we should start with like, what is the Austrian slash Bitcoiner take on stability and, and how stability is found and what stability is? How would you guys define stability? Um, well, it just kind of like you said, um, is that like stability in, inherently, it's like, stability in relation to what you know you know the theory of relativity relativity extends to (laughs) economics like it's whatever the dollar like if it's in comparison to the dollar the dollar is only stable in comparison to the market that uses it you know like like just in just like you can't judge you have no idea how fast i'm going like i can say i'm jogging at five miles an hour but i'm also you know moving three thousand miles an hour because the earth is spinning um like it's always in relation to something else, but just in the general idea of prices is that we don't really want stability is kind of a derivative of liquidity, but it's also a derivative like, cause you can have like liquidity shocks and you can have a situation where a market is so overblown in one direction or another that you get extreme volatility one way or the other, but just kind of in the nature of the pricing is that you don't really want stability in prices. What you're hoping to get is stability in the economy, but you get that through the fact that the price is actually telling you something real. So if you, you know, if a nuke went off and blew up half the country, you wouldn't want stability in prices. You would want prices to plummet quickly so that all of our economic behavior changed immediately to reflect the new reality. You want prices to tell us something true about the economy. That's the whole um, use of knowledge in society. The, uh, the pretense of knowledge sort of theory is that the price is an unbelievable information aggregator. It takes the subjective independent values of billions of participants across the economy and trillions of transactions and finds one metric that we can actually change our behavior based on. It's the most information dense piece of mm-hmm. Uh, data that exists in an economy is the price. So we just, it's, it's not that we want it to be stable. It's that we want the economy to be stable and that the price would be stable if the economy is robust. But if the economy isn't robust, there's, there's no value in a stable price because you want the price to tell us something true. You want it to be a reflection of reality. Um, so yeah, just kind of in one, the nature of stability. I, yeah. 
One thing I've learned uh, that I, I keep on finding in the world of economics and finance is that there are, there are different features about an asset or some some native characteristic about something that you can with because finance what finance is is like some some amount of engineering right like engineering is incorporated in finance that's kind of what finance is right it's like money plus some engineering and like with finance you can engineer things to be the way that you want them to be in but you can't ever eliminate anything right there's some like law of conservation and so what i'm think what i think you're saying is like and, and correct me if i'm wrong but uh, maybe the, the Austrian slash Bitcoiner belief is that if you take, if you want to place uh, price stability in an asset like the dollar, you must take it from somewhere else. And the, I think the Bitcoiner mm-hmm. belief is that in order to achieve price stability, it comes at the cost of stability elsewhere, maybe nowhere in specific. But if you take it from nowhere in specific, it ultimately just comes out of the economy. Is that a correct take? To an extent, like like there are like. There are engineering, like just like you say, finance is kind of an engineering layer on top of money and like trade. So there are things Mm -hmm. like, like let's say Gemini, they have like their um, uh, their product where where they they sell a lot of contracts that close once a day. So it basically it gets rid of all the intermittent like hourly um, uh, volatility. And they just, at the end of 24 hours, they basically just, you know, average it out, whatever it is. And you have a much more gradual thing to work off of. And that makes perfect sense for somebody who's trading on a longer time scale. And you can have derivatives of that that go to weekly, that go to yearly and extend that out. And in that way, you have contracts that are for certain lengths of time that you are ignoring hourly st- instability or daily instability and you're, you're aggregating these things over a long span of time. And that's a net benefit. You know, what, what you're doing is you're, you're taking short-term time factors out of a, what is a, really a long-term uh, situation or contract or whatever it is. Um, but yes, in, in the end, all you're doing is you're dulling something that is inevitable though. Like, like the underlying stability is just something that is relative to something else. Um, and it's just, mm-hmm. just a, it's just kind of a smoothing out the curve. Okay. So he, here's my, my non Austrian, even though I would consider myself somewhat Austrian or Austrian adjacent or whatever, but, but uh, even mm-hmm. though that, so Gold is this hard money and it's had relative uh, stable buying power. And that's kind of the vision that Bitcoiners have for Bitcoin over time is that buying power does indeed become stable-ish. Um, even in that world where there's in the in the currency that we use, uh, there I believe because we can engineer it, there is something that is stable or more stable in price than Bitcoin or whatever asset we're using and because it can be engineered. And so like um, a, an index, right? Like, so what the dollar is supposed to be uh, pegged to is a consumer price index. And like what the vision for MakerDAO and DAI is, is to produce their own price index that is independent of the monetary policy of the federal reserve and create, you know, a more transparent and auditable and, and verifiable price index for stability. So that even though Bitcoin does, like we all believe that Bitcoin is going to reduce its volatility over time and it's going to become more stable. It's never going to become perfectly stable and that's okay. 
that's not, we wouldn't ever want it to for the reasons why you discussed. Like we want Bitcoin to have the hard cap. We don't want it to have the price stability, but that still leaves room for something to have its own form of price stability. And so stability can be turned into a product, right? Where, where, you know, a hard cap is a, also is a, is a product, like a money is a product product. What what also can be a product is stability, like different, uh, engineering teams i would consider maker dow an engineering team i would also consider the fed an engineering team to engineer stability and some teams will be better at producing stability than others so like i still think there's always going to be this room for something that is quote unquote stable and where it doesn't really matter where they subjectively place that reference point as to where stability comes from so long as they do a good job of of producing it Okay. Well, I mean, I would definitely agree in the sense that stability is a product. Like, mm-hmm. like there is, like there's a market for uh, selling stability. I mean, it's essentially a, essentially an offing of risk. Um, mm-hmm. Like, so like insurance, that's a stability right. product. Exactly. And um, so without a doubt, there is a market on top of that, but I don't think I think in the nature of an economy, there's nothing, whatever your foundational element is, like whatever your money is, that is inherently going to be the most reflexive of reality and also of stability. Like, like I kind of think about it in like a uh, context of, uh, let's say, you know, you want money backed by a commodity. Let's say you've like a fiat money that's backed by like two commodities. It's like, okay, well, well, if we backed it by a basket of like 15 commodities, wouldn't that be better than just two? Well, if you, what you always have when you're, when you're starting to enter into that space, you have a counterparty risk. You have, you have an ultimate liability of somebody having to meet the obligation at the other end. And just in a general sense, when we're talking about like fiat money or like a bank note or something like that, is that it's a centralized backing of that good. There's some, there's some counterparty risk or somebody who has to fulfill the other end of this. But what a money is in an economy is that good which is backed by all trade. It, it, is, it is essentially that which is backed by the entire economy of goods rather than just this small basket or this one or two commodities. That is the role of money is to be a decentralized backing because of its monetary assurances. If it has the highest in the economy, well, then it is literally like kind of by definition backed by every production that occurs in that economy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I totally agree that like stability is a product without a doubt. And if somebody can create some sort of a derivative um, that has, you know, not, not too far out of the range of insurance, you, you know, like when, when something swings one way, you want to have a hedge. Um, and uh, that's, that's one of those things that serves exactly that role. And there's, even though I'm just using insurance, there's probably thousands of, you know, examples that you could come up with of that sort of thing. Um, and finance is a great example. People hedge like that's how Forex works or whatever, you know, you, you, you make a, a trade to another currency and you don't want to be hedged to um, like to uh, a trade with another country. And you don't want to be like during the terms of that trade, you buy a contract to the reverse so that whatever the price is that when you're doing the trade, you're not trading the currency, you're trading the good, the product at the other end. 
So you hedge in the reverse direction to make sure that whatever happens in the meantime, you don't care. You want the profit of the product that you're selling. Um, so if you hedge in the other direction, then if the currency goes up 1%, it doesn't matter. You, uh, or uh, currency goes down in 1%, you've hedged in the reverse and you got the exact same price over that span of time so that whatever your 2% margin on the product is stays 2%. And you're not playing the currency game. You're playing, let me trade with this other person to sell iPhones or whatever game. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, to, to some degree, I, I, yeah, certainly agree with the, um, the, the thesis there. Um, but just that it is, I still think money is the more fundamental, uh, right. Problem, I guess mm -hmm. fun, the more fundamental, uh, issue at, at hand. You're muted, CK. Uh, just to kind of add on, just because you've created like stability as a product and um, maybe Rye and the new Rye protocol is not even trying to make money. It's just trying to create a stability product. Um, stability doesn't inherently mean moneyness. I think saleability and liquidity are much, much more fundamental to um, the use case of being in money than than pretty much anything else um so i like stability like I, I don't think that there is a stable coin out there like a real stable coin it's just different levels of liquidity and then people's you people use that thing as the reference point and therefore that thing is stable so whatever is being used as a reference point appears to be stable um and and trying to engineer stability it just, it's not, you can't, you can't have more information than the market interacting with something. So I just don't think that it, it's, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be better. The liquidity, I, the liquidity point, I think right. is something really to, is, is a really important factor because no matter what kind of smart contract, you know, you're, you're, you're working with, there's always some, particularly if it's something that is, that's traded where somebody has to hedge on the other side or something to, to give some sort of a buffer to the price move is that it's always going to, um, the liquidity is going to be your biggest factor. It's like kind of credit markets or something. If there's not enough people fulfilling some other end of a contract, it's one of those things where you could have stability for 99% of the time. But mm -hmm. then during these outlier events where, uh, liquidity massively drives up or there's for some reason there's some sort of a hedge that really needs to be uh, uh, executed or taken out you could have liquidity push so hard in one direction that all semblance of stability goes out the window it's 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 a lot like what we see happens in in the credit markets is where you can you can print money and you can try to cover up the instability as long as you know for as long as you think you can but eventually there's there's going to be an outlier event that stress tests the whole thing. You often get stability at the cost of fragility. Like an anti-fragile right. thing is right. almost necessarily something that adjusts all the time um, and can respond to these events. Whereas a lot of times it kind of, uh, kind of axiomatic, I guess you could say, is that stability is almost always a consequence of um, uh, fragility on top of whatever it is that is uh, your your ultimate anchor, um, which right. is you know money in the case of an economy. 
Right. And we definitely saw that with the MakerDAO Black Thursday events where um, the underlying collateral in the system got cut in half and then the, the liquidity on DAI dried up and DAI started trading at like a dollar mm-hmm. five cents to a dollar eight cents at, at the peak. And that definitely is the benefit of having an underlying asset and underlying money that is no one's uh, liability. That's a, a phrase I've been hearing more and more lately. And I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of it. Like currencies like Bitcoin and Ether are assets that are no one's liability. Whereas DAI, a stable coin, that is not true. And I, I don't think there's a single, single stable coin out there that isn't someone else's liability, right? Like when you go and, and submit Ether into your vault and you mint DAI, you got to buy back that DAI later in order to pay back your vault. So that's your liability. Uh, and, that's, and that's where that liquidity squeeze comes from. Um, however, maybe not even however, but also just touching on, <laughs> on, a, on a different and on a different note, um, that this, is, this sub- subject of like monies in the crypto world has always kind of fascinated me because I think the free market Austrian nature of all of these crypto systems, and I believe every single crypto system has to be Austrian. There's no way for a, a Keynesian blockchain to even work. Like the whole <laughs> fundamental yeah. scarcity mechanism of all these blockchains relies on basic like Austrian economics. It's just a matter of like how, how far down the Austrian purification spectrum have you gone? Um, and so, uh, and so fuck, where, where was I going with that? <laughs> Damn it. I just fucking lost that thread. You can't, canes, you can't canes a blockchain. It all oh, yeah. Okay. Be- I, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, so okay. there's, I think all these, there's different monies that are going to come out of this space. And Bitcoin is the very obvious and first example of a hard cap, you know, perfectly decentralized money. So hard capped money. And then mm-hmm. DAI, I think what I'm getting to is I think we're going to find like the perfect, uh, purest forms of different pockets of money, different like possible types of money we've experiment experimented with money a lot throughout human history and i think blockchains are really going to allow us to discover the most pure forms of money bitcoin being the very first one but i think Dai, whereas like it is this supposed uh, supposed to be price stable totally flexible supply right so very much the opposite of bitcoin right so you have no idea what the hard cap of Dai is it doesn't even have a hard cap but you do know what the price is. Like you will know what the price is. So it's exactly the opposite of Bitcoin. And, and mm-hmm. then um, there's maybe room for, for like, there's another, I, I called ether, like another kind of alternative where you, there is kind of like in the middle where you don't really know what the uh, hard cap is, but you know that there is some scarcity and there's a little bit of issuance, but you don't know the price. So it's kind of like in this middle ground. Um, and, and, but, but it all is layered on top of, uh, a Austrian type of currency, right? So like whether you produce a stable coin using Bitcoin as collateral or Ether as collateral, the underlying system, the underlying substrate has the Austrian money at the bottom. And then you have the uh, managed money, um, what Hazu called uh, uh, discretionary. He was in his article, discretionary money mm-hmm. on top of that, like labeling die as discretionary. And I think like we can be okay with some version of fiat money, fiat as in like price stable by a, a discretionary board of, of directors. So long as it's built on something like Bitcoin and ether, so long as it has the substrate where it should be, which is Austrian money at the bottom. I think that we can actually start to experiment with price stability in a way that hasn't impacted the economies. Uh, with the the regular business cycles of booms and bust cycles that we've seen. 
Yeah, there's something really interesting there. I haven't read, you're talking about uh, Hasu's uh, most recent article because I haven't read it yet. Yeah, super yeah, fantastic okay. article. Um, but uh, the, my, my weird issue with like kind of the, the multiple monies argument is uh, like, like I think we'll have different roles in monetary derivatives. Um, and that's kind of what you're talking about with make or die is that you have you have a derivative of whatever is being settled as the the kind of ultimate arbiter of uh, pricing of of the value um, the value hedge I guess you could say in the market like because money's um, money's fundamental role is kind of a hedge against uncertainty right cash is the ultimate good that can be exchanged for all other goods so when we don't know as the optionality on the future and i love that there you go there you go yeah um there's a great piece called the yield from money held um and it's just about the nature of holding cash holding holding the money whatever it is um as a exactly that the ultimate optionality on the future is that Whatever the hell happens, because I have no clue, you, you know, tomorrow could give me any billion of opportunities or costs or um, risks, whatever it is, but cash is going to be that good, which can be exchanged for any potential future. Um, so like, that's why the underlying money is the ultimate pricing mechanism. And the problem with like alternative monies in the sense that Oh, we'll have a money for this or we'll have a money for this is that money is a language. It's, it's a, it's a language of value. So I find it far, far more likely that what you have is you can build a derivative out of the money. But if, if you have to choose between speaking English or Japanese to do global trade, and as soon as you are speaking Japanese, you've forgotten everything about English. Like, like money is mutually exclusive. You can't hold value in both at once. It's, it's got a greater walled garden than even like a, a social media network, which has unbelievable feedback loops or a language that has, you know, high, high barriers to um, uh, kind of bridging. Like money has so many of those feedback loops, except to an even more exaggerated ex extent because the value in them is mutually exclusive. To hold Bitcoin, you have to not hold ethereum or name coin and to hold those you have to not hold bitcoin or the dollar or whatever it is um and because of that the trend is ultimately you have to speak the same language to have trade um you 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 have to speak the same money to be part of the same economy what it does is it segregates it separates whole economies from the ones that that are speaking a different language um, and that's why I think, like, I think you're kind of right that like fiat money or like banknotes or something like that could absolutely be a part of the economy, just like they were when, uh, gold, we had a gold standard. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we had the British pound, we had, we had the dollar, we had all of these other currencies, but they were essentially quote unquote stable coins to the gold in the vault. Right. right. Um, and I think that's, that's what will end up, will kind of be the the end result of all of this is that you know if you built an awesome website on an alternative internet it's like it's still a cool ass website but you're gonna end up putting it on the internet that everybody's using you know it's gonna be it's gonna be accessed through tcp ip at the end of the day um 
Kind of like, how, the kinda like how Gab tweets on Twitter. Tweet <laughs> exactly the Gab. If you ever post on Gab, it's got the little also post on Twitter. <laughs> So I want to push back on the mutual exclusivity uh, uh, comment. Uh, to the most part, okay. it's definitely true because you can't hold you can't hold two assets with the same value. You can't you have to pick one. Um, but with with gadgets like little smart contracts on Ethereum, there are ways to tie in and create create a relationship between two assets. Uh, Uniswap would be a fantastic example of this. And what we've seen, especially with the rise in ETH price, uh, because price liquidity is a function of price, right? Like a market cap of something with $100 will never have the same liquidity as something with a market cap of $100 million. Like you, you get higher price, you get more liquidity. And what we've seen is like when Ether increases in price, the Uniswap um, ETH die market, both sides get more liquid. And so these things, because you uh, die as a derivative off of Ether, uh, the, both of these things become more liquid at the same time. And so they are actually stitched together like they are intrinsically stitched together, like attached at the hip because you make DAI with Ether. So DAI can have a higher market cap if Ether has a higher market cap. And then the mediums that are exchanged between DAI and Ether, not just Uniswap, but also all the other decentralized exchanges on Ethereum, like UIDX, whatever, those also grow in liquidity and volume and, and, um, and reduce slippage. And MakerDAO or, and, and Bitcoin in, in its WBTC form, just got placed inside of MakerDAO. So, so Bitcoin can have this same relationship with DAI too. Like Bitcoin is also inside of Uniswap. It's, also, it's inside of MakerDAO. It's inside of DYDX. And so, uh, you know, the more DAI that's minted off of the back of Bitcoin, Bitcoin also has this intrinsic relationship with the banknotes that are issued upon it being, being DAI. Uh, and so like, you don't get, it's not a perfect world where you don't get to have both at once, but there is some sort of, uh, you know, greater, the, the, the sum is greater than, or the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? Like it's, it, the, the economic pie does grow a little bit. It's not a total zero sum game. Well, is that a, um, is that because the, the mutual, ex, mutual exclusivity, of value is just that the same value can't be in two places at once. So probably again, I don't really know the setup of like make or die in that, in that context. So I don't know if it's that, you know, you're looking at a derivative of the Ethereum value. So if Ethereum went up, then that itself is more valuable or your, or it's a, uh, a consequence of the actual network value because just the number of network connections and liquidity is a value in and of itself. So if that has increased, what you're seeing is, is again, a derivative value, one that liquidity in itself is a value. Um, so it's, it's not that value is in a different place. It's that it's, it's kind of in the same way that uh, a social network with 10 people uh, is not as not the same amount of value uh, as a social network with 100 people. Is that the underlying asset or the underlying uh, computers or whatever haven't increased in value, but the number of connections have. So mm -hmm. that is that is the creation of value rather than the uh, kind of a, a contradiction to the mutual exclusivity of value. Yeah, um, I, I guess I'm using MakerDAO and Uniswap as little like they're little translator gadgets, right? Like you input ETH, get out, die, right? And so the better that these things are, the easier it is to translate going between these two languages, right? Like the, the more liquid a Uniswap market is, the easier you can go between these two languages of value quicker and quicker with less slippage. 
Okay, so so it's um, it's essentially in a sense like with with higher liquidity, the um, the accuracy, of, the, yeah, the cost of uh, translation are whatever are lowered. Happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I still think. I mean, it's interesting, but but again, that's like a a, a set of derivatives which are products, right? right. Like it's again, right. just going back to the basic example, it's like an insurance contract, except mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, some some other form of stability or some other form of trading or some mechanism that has greater number of transactions or whatever the trade off is. You know, you're you're selling a product by taking some underlying asset and you're doing more with it, and uh, so I think it's. I think it's subsidiary. I think it's a secondary to the monetary argument, but mm-hmm. you know, like I said, interesting tools are interesting regardless. Absolutely. Well, guy, uh, Christian has a second live stream that he has to get to. So we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, it's been an absolute blast having you on the pod and the uh, amount of Bitcoin articles that you've read definitely shows in, in this podcast. So uh, you're a sharp guy and I'm uh, glad to have you on. Yeah, dude, it's fun as always. Love the show and uh, had a good time. Um, Guy, I guess like we do have like two or three more minutes here. If you were to kind of communicate anything about Bitcoin to a non-Bitcoin audience, what would you communicate to them? Um, I was actually chatting with, uh, I haven't posted it yet, but uh, me and Jan Pritzker, uh, the CTO of Swan Bitcoin, uh, were chatting and... I think the one point that we hit on that I think is so crucial to understand is the difference between a the, the techno, technological breakthrough and then the monetary breakthrough. Um, and I think we mix these a lot in our minds and kind of weigh them differently. Like what is happening is a fascinating technology, but the money is the ultimate goal. The, the ability to secure a money independently is a literal, like on the level of millennia sort of revolution in that technology. Um, and to do so in a digital fashion, one that exists in a, as a complete abstraction of a monetary good is unbelievable. And that technology should everything about that technology should go to making sure that that security is maintained. Like this is, these are, this is fundamental, um, like infrastructure, like the, the basis of our species. It's not even, it's not even an economy because we aren't a species without an economy. We are a social organism. We, the only reason we exist, the only reason we have cities the only reason we can scale beyond having 60 people in a tribe is because we speak the same economic language. Money is the ultimate tool for the creation of society. If we can't trade, if we can't specialize, if there is any risk in that foundational layer whatsoever, you risk literally everything. You risk all trade. You risk all specialization. Every skill is meaningless. If I can't trade my skill for yours, because I we none of us know how to do it all there's too many trillions of things to get done um and it's just i i think the scale of technology this isn't an app you know this isn't something like you have to go back hundreds of years to really look at the major change that is happening right now um and and i think i think our time scales are very much 
what's happening next year, what's happening four years from now. And I think to really look at Bitcoin, you have to look at decades. You have to look at centuries to what sort of impact this has. And I think the monetary and economic side of it is the absolutely the most critical tool um, to explore, the critical aspect of it to explore. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> Cool, cool. That that was all I could have asked for. Guy, uh, for those who want to learn more and dive into the wonderful world of Bitcoin audio, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at The Crypto Economy on Twitter or Bitcoin Audible, which is the new name of the show. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about that. We're just I'm two away from 400 reads. Um, and that conclude, includes all the essentials, shelling out by Nick Zabo, um, uh, 21 Lessons. I got so many economics pieces now. I got the white paper. I got half of what's on nakamotoinstitute.org now. Like if you want to go exploring for every piece written on Bitcoin, I got like 80%, 90% of them, and I'm going to close the gap pretty quick. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you are an absolute machine and a, like really and truly a resource. So I appreciate you. I'm definitely an audio learner. So um, I've consumed a lot more Bitcoin content strictly because of your efforts. So I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Awesome. Glad I can be of service. It wouldn't be worth anything if I wasn't. <laughs> I, I have an article coming out. I think next week I'm going to throw it in the hat and see if I can get you to read it. All right. All right. I love, I love hitting one every once in a while, particularly if there's something I can push back on. Shoot it my way. I'm definitely interested. No, I think, I think you're resonated with this one. It'll, it's right up your alley. It's good stuff. All right, cool. cool. David's turning into a Bitcoiner, slowly but surely. It just took 140 <laughs> shows. Bitcoin's coming onto Ethereum, so it have to be. <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys can find the show at POV Crypto Pod. Give us a review. We're still almost at 100. Um, so, like, I've been asking for a while. Come on, get us, get us there. Jesus, the last 10 to 100 have been a, a real, a real drag. Somebody gave um, us a review while we were doing this uh, podcast because the Bitcoin price ripped up from uh, 9,400 to 9,600. Let's go. Did Let's it just go. now? That's how, that's how it works. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. But yeah, give us a freaking review. Follow the show on Twitter. Follow me at CK underscore Snarks. And uh, go to Bitcoin Magazine in 10 minutes for an epic panel um, breaking down uh, the having and uh, analyzing what's happened so far. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, man. Take it easy, y'all. Peace. Right. That was good. That was real good. Do you believe? Do you believe? Will you?